Tom, can you hear me? I can, Alex. I can. How are you? I'm very well. Now, do you remember the final day of testing? At breakfast, you popped down your muesli, looked up and said F1 should have its own radio station. I do. I remember that conversation very, very well. I remember the muesli as well. <laughs> well, it's not quite a radio station, but be careful what you wish for, my friend. Welcome to F1 Nation, F1's brand new podcast to get you through the suspended state racing finds itself in. We're going to be here every week to bring you news, insights and personalities from the paddock, all remotely of course, as we readjust to the unusual circumstances the world currently faces. And I'm not alone. I'm joined by Alex Jakes. Alex, how are you my friend? I'm great Tom, it's great to be talking F1 with you and everyone else. Currently sitting here in what is a bit of a makeshift studio that I've made out of duvets and a bit of duct tape with a cup of coffee. I'm very much looking forward to episode one. I can share the coffee with you. Uh, no duvets here. Does my kitchen table count, Alex? I've actually got my dog on my feet, keeping my toes warm, but it's all pretty impromptu around here, isn't it? So you're speaking from the kitchen table. I'm in the study. Now, before we get into this week's episode, I wonder if we should wind things back and formally introduce ourselves. So I'll allow you to go first, Mr. Clarkson. Hello, folks. Crikey, I've been covering Formula One since 1997, would you believe it? And I think for podcast fans out there, you might be familiar with Beyond the Grid. That's the other F1 podcast that I'm involved with. So... Uh, and completely delighted to be involved with F1 Nation as well. I think you've done a very short summation of what has been a, a storied career, doing so many jobs. You've been a pit lane reporter. You've done lead commentary on occasion. You're the man Alex, who asks the questions. stop it, stop it. Hashtag blushing, <laughs> hashtag blushing. Okay, now hang on. Here's I'm looking at a man via Zoom who has achieved... Uh, an awful lot as well in in uh, fewer years than me, it has to be said. Well, that is plainly not true, but hello, everyone. My day job, it's not a proper job, but my day job is commentating on Formula One, Formula Two, Formula Three, and occasionally the Porsche Super Cup. The weekends in Europe are pretty busy, Tom, but it is without doubt the best job in the world. I absolutely love it. I think that usually comes through. Uh, <laughs> people are like, all right, give it a rest. It's only F3 practice. Dial it down a bit. <laughs> But it's a, it's a brilliant job and I very much enjoy it. So now we've got the formal bit out of the way, we can tell everyone what the plan is for these podcasts. So the plan is that every week with our friends and guests, we're going to bring you lots of Formula One discussion and we're also going to be calling up the sport's main players. And we're going to be revisiting moments you might have just forgotten about as well. Sounds good to me, Tom. So coming up in the very first F1 Nation, Rosanna Tennant faces the first of her weekly challenges. Will Buxton talks us through his Dream F1 track, and we pay tribute to one of the greatest drivers in history. We begin this week with some good news. After an understandable run of postponements and cancellations, finally, on Monday, the announcement that we'd all been hoping for came through. F1 officially signalled its intention to begin the 2020 season in Austria on July the 5th. Fantastic news. And to talk to us about it, I'm delighted to say that we're now joined by F1's Managing Director of Motorsports, Ross Braun. Ross, are you there? Hi, Tom. This is a really positive announcement, isn't it? I guess you're very busy at the minute, but what are the exact issues you're having to work on? Well, it's a massive logistical challenge. 
if you can imagine, because um, you know running a Formula One race is a big challenge anyway. Running a Formula One race in these circumstances is something which is new to all of us. And we're working our way through all the requirements to make sure we operate in a safe, safe environment for, for the drivers, for the engineers, for the technicians, for everyone involved in the race. And uh, we put on the right sort of show. Unfortunately, it will be without fans, which is a great shame. But uh, we still feel that we can take the race out to all the fans who watch us on TV and other means. It's important for us to try and get the season going. Many reasons for wanting to start the season. One is obviously to excite the fans. We've all been frustrated with the delays. We've got a very exciting season in front of us. But it's a very important uh, livelihood for thousands of people. You know, it's another reason for trying to kickstart the season. Now, you mentioned the word race, but... It's been mentioned that there could be two races in Austria and potentially at other venues as well. How, how realistic is two races? It's a real consideration because one of the logistical challenges is getting everyone tested and cleared to enter the paddock, to enter the, the racing environment. And I think once we do that, there's, uh, it's very attractive to keep everyone in that environment within that kind of biosphere that we want to create for another race. It's also pretty challenging to find the right sort of races early on where we can control the environment well enough. And uh, Austria fits that bill very well. It's got a local airport right next to the circuit where people can charter planes into. It's not too close to a metropolis. It has a great infrastructure around it, for instance. There'll be no motorhomes, but there'll be full catering facility laid on that the circuit has. So we can basically contain everyone within that environment. And therefore, once we're there, it's appealing to have another race the following week. Okay, so following weekend. But you you mentioned the fans. Just Ross Braun, the fan of Formula One. How much are you missing racing at the moment? More than I thought I would. (laughs) You know, not every race is great, but the great ones make it great. You know, we've, we've missed, you know, the whole... Uh, involvement, the whole complexity. It's a it's a very complex sport for me on the you know, technological side, the driver side, you know, the racing side, all the individuals involved. You know, it's been months now of working on the best reaction we can have to this terrible pandemic, the best reaction the sport can have, the best reaction the business can have. So my days and my weeks and my months have been full of of negotiations with the teams and working with the FIA and finding the best uh, way forward. And, of course, the circumstances are changing so frequently. That's pretty challenging. So it'd be great uh, to get out on the track again. Ross, you've mentioned what your focus is on there, but how has lockdown been from your point of view? Have you been constantly consumed by meetings or have you had a chance to do something that maybe you wouldn't normally have the chance to do? Um, each day is a little different. I mean, I don't stop thinking about it, uh, to be honest. Some days are pretty full on from the time I get up to quite late in the evening. And of course, with the technology that's around, it's remarkably efficient. Other days, not quite so intense. But the days do merge into one another. The weekends don't seem any different than the weekdays. So um, Yeah, it's definitely that period of time, isn't it, that we have after Christmas and before New Year where all the, all the days seem to blur into one. And have you had a chance to get stuck into your reading pile or watch those films that maybe you've been meaning to get stuck into for years but never got round to? 
I haven't, if I'm honest. I, I've got some bedside reading, mainly about fishing. Uh, um, <laughs> what I have been relaxing with in the evening is cooking. I enjoy cooking. So um, the roles have been reversed. I've been cooking for my wife in the evenings. Uh, so that's my way of just winding down. And have you got a go-to signature dish? I like barbecuing. That's uh, what I call proper barbecuing, low, low and slow. And uh, so long cooked dishes. I did a leg of hogget over the weekend, cooked it for four oh, hours. Sounds fantastic. Cooked it for four hours, all the apple wood smoke and that sort of thing. So, but the engineer comes out of me because I had temperature <laughs> stuck into it all over the place. So, <laughs> I can't help. Uh, we also heard Lewis Hamilton this week, Ross, speak about the fact that he's feeling a big void by not going racing. How do you think the drivers are going to react to this when some of them have been on their longest hiatus since they were children? Yeah, I mean, their lives revolve around racing. Even in the you know closed season, they've got strict uh, training regimes. They'll have a short break. But, you know, the teams never stop. And the engagement the teams have with the drivers, even when it's not at the track, is pretty full on. And I think with the teams all closed down at the moment, the drivers are probably hearing very little about Formula 1. And, of course, you can't forget all these drivers are in Formula 1 because they're passionate about motor racing. You know, they started as youngsters desperate to emulate their heroes and race cars and enjoy the thrill of doing that. So they're, you know, they're there because of their passion primarily. Obviously, the successful ones have got a lot of other benefits that have come with it, but you know, I'm sure they do miss it. They'll support you know, these moves of making clearly with the understanding it's all going to be done properly and there'll be no risk taken and it will all be done in the, in the correct way. Ross, you talk about drivers, heroes and just before you go, I'd love to ask you about Sir Sterling Moss, who died three weeks ago. A huge loss to motorsport, not only to Formula One, but can you just describe Sterling's legacy for us? I mean, Sterling came from an era where drivers drove whatever was put under them. And uh, I used to admire that hugely. You could jump from one car to another. You know, probably his greatest victory was a millimilia. And you read Jenkinson's uh, history of that and the story of that race and it was astonishing the fact that he did any of those races i admire hugely and he did it with a style and an approach that probably seems old-fashioned now quite frankly but again i admire admired hugely and i was fortunate to get to know him in the last few years he was always keen on coming to races and uh, so i you know, got to know him he and his lovely wife susie occasionally went out for dinner with him and he had some glorious tales to tell things that shouldn't be repeated that's for sure but he had this hugely competitive spirit but he did it in his own style his own gentlemanly style that um i think is rare i'm just i'm just looking now at a uh, playcard i have of the car that i now own it's a ferrari short wheelbase that he raced in 1960 i was fortunate to be able to buy it a few years ago he told many glorious tales of, of that car and that period. And I was lucky enough that he drove me around good with it several times. So a very special experience. And he, he won't be surpassed in the way he approached his racing and the skills he had, the talent he had. He was a very, very special man in, in so many ways. Have you still got the original radio in that short wheelbase Ferrari? Because when he was winning the 1960 Tourist Trophy at Goodwood, I think he said he was listening to the commentary over the car radio 
I'd heard that story and I, I wasn't sure because the car does have a radio in it, which is odd for a racing car. But uh, in one of the occasions he drove me in it, I mentioned it to him and he said, no, absolutely, old boy. I had it on and the slow parts of the circuit, I could hear Raymond Baxter uh, giving the commentary and I knew when my opposition were in the pits changing tyres and I knew what the race was doing. And of course, we forget these days with the radio systems we have, the driving those every last detail. But in those days, it was a pit board or what the spectators were doing. Or So now whether it's the original radio, I can't honestly say, but it's always notable because it's one of the few racing cars you'll see with an aerial on the roof. <laughs> the aerodynamicist inside you doesn't like that, does he? Ross, thank <laughs> you very much for your thoughts on Sterling and of course on, on everything else we've talked to you about. Great to catch up. Well, great to hear from Ross Braun there, Tom. But I tell you what, his barbecuing skills sounds like he needs to do a barbecue for the paddock on a Saturday night to me. I think that's a great idea. Also, quite adventurous. Hog it. I know. <laughs> I mean, straight, straight in at the top end. Yeah. Would you expect anything? Not else? mutton, not lamb. Hog it. I like that, Ross. Also, what lovely words about Sterling Moss as well. And that 250 GT short wheelbase he's got. I've seen it, actually. It's a beautiful car. And uh, I also love the thought of Sterling winning the 1960 TT at that racetrack, <laughs> listening to Raymond Baxter telling him where he was on the order and what was going on. It's just, it's a great story, isn't it? Uh, it's a fantastic image. That was great to hear from Ross. Right, Tom, what's your favourite circuit? Gut feeling, instant answer. Suzuka. Ooh. And why is that? Well, very easy for me. Just every single corner is a gem, isn't it? And it's just my favourite race of the year. From the moment you drive into the track and the fans are lining either side of the road and they're holding up banners for all the drivers and then just think of i love thinking of a qualifying lap there god i, I could go on <laughs> but it's turn ones flat out the s's degna i'm just vis visualizing it now it's tremendous racetrack how about you i'll go for as you've taken suzuka i'll go for the silverstone i grew up with with the abbey chicane with bridge corner and the very first time i went there in 2002 going over the bridge they still had a warm-up back then tom Remember those days? Frantic. And uh, the McLaren and David Coulthard going underneath the bridge that I was walking over with my uncle. And then the direction change, the, the sight when you're not used to seeing cars that quick. And the first thing you see is bridge corner. I absolutely love that version of Silverstone. Totally mega. Was bridge flat? I'm just trying to work it out. Was it flat? It was touch and go flat out, wasn't it? It was a proper challenge. There was a yeah, I think by the end it was it was easy flat. Like like some great challenging corners became slightly easier as as the cars progressed, but uh, it was just phenomenal. Now, you'll notice, Tom, that we played by the rules and only chose one track. However, one man who laughs in the face of the rules is F1 Digital presenter Will Buxton, who in the run-up to F1's 70th anniversary has taken a corner from every single circuit that was meant to run on the 2020 F1 calendar to create a super track, Wilverstone, if you like, which is a bit of a beast. And best of all, Will joins us on the line now. Hello, Will. How are you? I'm very good, mate. How are you? Not bad at all. How, first of all, how have you been holding up in lockdown? I think as this track evidences, I, I'm losing <laughs> my mind slightly. <laughs> Is this a map of your mind at this stage, Will? Yeah, I think so. All sort of spaghetti and uh, going all over the place. Um, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm doing lots of interviews um, on F1's Instagram channel, which has been really fun. And uh, I'm doing quite a bit of writing and imaginative things like this. 
Christmas. So keeping busy, uh, doing lots of cooking as well. So enjoying enjoying that. That's been that's been fun. Yeah, re- recreating Big Macs and well, Anchor Babs. Yeah, well, what I wanted to do was sort of a, an F1 themed lockdown kitchen where I was recreating dishes that we love to eat from around or that I love to eat from, you know, the, the many travels with Formula One. And then in doing an interview with Lando the other day, I said, where's the first place you're going to go after lockdown ends? <laughs> and he said McDonald's, which gave me the idea, OK, let's recreate the sausage McMuffin and the and the, the Big Mac, because a lot of countries you can still do drive through McDonald's and they're still delivering. But in the UK, no. nothing. So how did this come about? How did this track come about? Who gave you the challenge? And, and how did you set about creating this 24-corner track well, uh, from across the F1 calendar. So Tom will know that this idea is one that we came up with eons ago when we both worked at F1 magazine, the original F1 F1 magazine back in the day. And um, it was it was a, an ultimate circuit of all time. And we went around drivers and they um, interviewed racers about the greatest corners they'd ever driven. And we took the corners to Herman Tilke and he created this greatest ever circuit from you know, it had the old turn one and two into Lagos and, you know, really mega corners. There was the corkscrew in there from Laguna Seca. Anyway, being under lockdown and trying to come up with some ideas for content, this is always something that's lovely to go back to. This notion of a in a in a in a dream world, if money was no object and you could create something impossible, how would it look? What would it be? Um, and so I set myself a task with, with Johnny Reynolds. I passed it passed uh, through him first at, at F1.com. How about doing an ultimate track that combined all the tracks that we should have visited in 2020 to create one mega lap of the 2020 F1 season? And this is what I came out with. What was the selection process, Will? Because there, you know, I can't tell you how many corners there are on the Formula One calendar. Maybe you can, but I mean, to come up with whatever it is. 24 how, how did you do that so the first thing you do obviously you, you i took all, all 22 circuits and then i circled all the corners that i thought were mega like mega corners and of course they're all high speed belters or <laughs> so you can't just have just just high speed corners so i had to think a little bit more sort of out of the box than that and start to think where would just start finish line be and you know what would make a good first corner or what does make a good first corner what makes a good overtaking spot and you start to piece it together like that so i i started to to get an idea and a list of corners that i knew were essentials so you know you can't have it without parabolica or maggots and beckett's you can't have it without degna but if you have degna then do you also have 130r and and i i i realized there were a couple where i'd have to take two corners or two sequences from one circuit. So we've got two from Spa and two from Suzuka. And I think that's okay. I think you can get away with that because they are they are two they're, they're probably the two mega circuits. So I think you're allowed a little bit a little bit more than that. And then once you've decided on your corners, it's really about trying to find a way that puts them all together. But it's not as simple as just creating a jigsaw puzzle. You have to try to ensure that you'd be arriving at the corner in the right gear. And at the right speed, otherwise that corner stops having the characteristics that make the corner mega in the first place. But I hope that it, it it's somewhere near being representative. Did you have to cheat at all here, Will? Or is it the, you were talking about maintaining the speeds and the gearing for the corners. Is there any way where you've had to extend a straight or... Or shorten a bit? Is there? Or- yeah, yeah, there, there are. So um, when we come out of the um, Labose, the the long right hander into the left, um, we then exit 
into Albert Park and um, that that little section there was quite difficult to get right um, in the rundown to uh, the turn 11, 12 flick back at, um, at Albert Park. Um, but that was the only bit where I really had to sort of shorten the straight. And also in, well, because we're coming out of there at quite a, quite a rapid speed onto the long start finish stretch in Baku, you're going to be hitting eighth gear and, and max speed pretty early on there, but you will do on that straight in Baku anyway. So, you know, you're maxing it out on the limiter in Baku for, for a little bit. And and then, of course, once I put it together, I then decided to set myself a task of, well, would this actually work? And so I sat down <laughs> and then I created the video. So So I actually made the video from the pole position laps from last year plus a bit of Tilka footage and a bit of Red Bull VNR to see well would this thing actually work and if I synced the gear shifts would it work and it turned out it it did and it was really intense <laughs> as a lap I was gonna say have you have you run this past Tilka um, no, I haven't. I've run it past some drivers though. I ran it what past feedback. I ran it past Ricardo and. Uh, and Gasly uh, and Science and just said, you know, lads, could you have a little look at this and let me know if I've completely lost the plot or or what you think? And uh, and the feedback was surprisingly good. That there's a couple of nice little overtaking spots. There's, I, one of the segments that I really like the most is and that seemed to get good reaction from the drivers was actually after that bit at Baku, we come through the start sort of sequence at Singapore, and when we come out of turn four at Singapore into turn nine at Barcelona into Parabolica, into Maggots and Beckett's, into the run uphill and dropping back down through Degner's one and two. And that whole sort of sequence there is it's it they seem to think it had quite a nice quite a nice flow to it. Quick. Bloody quick. It's all <laughs> it's all either high speed corners or really hard braking. So it would be I think it would be massively challenging on the neck. There'd be a couple of good overtaking spots, I hope. Things like coming out of 130R and that rise up the hill in uh, in Austria. You know, we know that right hand is a lovely little overtaking point anyway. It's really slow corner. So hopefully that would be that would be quite fun. And you know, it's never going to be realized in the real world. Uh, what about the sim world though? Yeah. It reminds me of a cheat track that you'd get on an early PlayStation game for F1. I mean, we we live in a time of esports and the virtual world of racing, and if if somebody could create it to see if it would match up and actually work, I think it would be great fun. It'd be it'd be, it'd be a, an absolute hoot. So yeah. if you're listening, we'd, we'd make it all, yes, exactly. It would make it all worthwhile. I may have told the Cody's boys about about this, <laughs> so um, so let's see. But the other fun bit I had was figuring out where I was going to put gravel traps. So we've got a proper gravel trap back at Parabolica. So you can't put two wheels over the line. We've got gravel traps where there should be gravel traps at Degna. You know, obviously at the end of the the long straight in in Baku, we've got a you know a little bit of runoff in case you in case you get it wrong. It looks a lot of fun, and I know it's a lot of fun. But I was just uh, jotting down a few estimations. I think it would cost about two billion to build. Will? Well, that's okay. Okay. Right, and uh, I think you'd need about four thousand marshals. Uh, possibly, yeah, and about four thousand cranes uh, for the <laughs> for, for the the damage that would be done. Yeah, you know, it, it's and the lap time I think would come in if you if you're mm. getting under five minutes, you're doing pretty well. The other thing that I that, that I hope it shows is just the huge array of different racing circuits that we have on on the calendar and the the huge challenges that each one represents. How every single one of them is completely unique. And it's so difficult to try and piece them all together and, and have them maintain that element that makes them so special in the first place. 
Um, and it's made me miss racing even more because I've just been pouring over videos and, yeah, and um, you know, and thinking, oh, you know, God, I love that. Trial. I love this bit. That's such a challenge. That's so great. And yeah, it just makes me makes me miss it even more. It looks like a mega lap and you can see it all on F1.com. Cheers for talking us through it, Will. Absolute pleasure, guys. You're listening to F1 Nation with Tom Clarkson, Alex Jakes, and now F1 TV host and pit reporter, Rosanna Tennant. Hi, Rosanna. Hi, Tom. How are you? Very well. Very well indeed. How about you? Not too bad. These are funny circumstances, but I'm so enjoying the fact that we're getting a podcast together and talking to the great and the good of the F1 world. So here's how it's going to work. Every week, we will set Rosanna a challenge to complete by the end of the show. And I want to point out to the public who might be thinking, why does she get the tough bit? Well, this was all of Tennant's choosing. She wanted this. She's invited this. So here we go. This is Challenge Rosanna. We've spent all the budget on that jingle. All of it. It's a tiny budget, but it's got all on that jingle. And I think it's money well spent, quite frankly. Now, Rosanna, are you ready for your first challenge? You must get an F1 driver from your phone contacts and interview him. And you've got seven minutes to do that. Tom, that's quite a steep challenge at the moment. The Formula One drivers are everywhere. It's not like I can just wander into the paddock and give them a call. This is this is a tough one, but okay, I am ready. You're right, I asked for this. I have accepted <laughs> your challenge. Okay, well, your time starts now. Okay. Um, well, I'm looking through my phone book and now I'm a little bit worried that I don't have enough phone numbers. So the first job for me to do when we go back racing is to go around and get everybody's number in the paddock. Um, okay, I'm going to try George Russell. Oh, interesting start. Well, I think, I think George is a good guy. I want to chat with him. Oh, it's ringing. That's always a good start. I wonder what he's Quite doing. tense, this, isn't it? It's very tense. My blood pressure and heart rate's through the roof. This is not a good look, is it? This could be losing your friends, couldn't it, Rosa? Reputation, credibility, career. <laughs> look, this is, okay, I'm stopping the ringing because this is mortifying. Okay, okay. Right, that's a fail. That's a fail. Okay, so George didn't fancy it. That's fine. That's fine. Do we have anyone else in the locker? Let me give it a scroll. Okay. Right. Um... Did you say a scroll or a stroll? Oh. No, see, that's, that's embarrassing because I don't have Lance's number. <laughs> Lance, how could you? Oh, this is upsetting. This is upsetting. Okay, I have got, and you, you might be strict on the rules here, but I have got Esteban Gutierrez's number. Oh, he does count, doesn't he? He's not current, yeah. but he does count. He counts, okay. Right. <clears throat> Let's go again. Take two, Tennant. Oh, he's in England, not in Mexico. I'm assuming. Probably just going to put myself out of my own misery. Um, I'm going to end this call because that is embarrassing. Oh, I've been snubbed by two drivers. Okay, how long have I got to complete this challenge? You have another, what is it, four minutes? I think four minutes left. While Rosanna sees if anyone from the grid will return her calls, let's run you through the F1 highlights for the days ahead. This Saturday's F1 Rewind, an absolute classic. Silverstone 2008, one of Lewis Hamilton's greatest ever drives. I think he won by a minute, didn't he, Tom? It was sensational. It was a wet race. Uh, He didn't start on pole. I think he was back in fourth on the grid. 
He then at the start moved up to second, jumped his teammate Heike Kovalainen, who was actually on pole on a, after a half a dozen laps, and then disappeared. It was an absolute masterclass. And anyone who had any doubt about just how good Lewis Hamilton was, remember it was only his second season in Formula One, we knew then that this boy was really, really special. Then on Sunday, we have another virtual Grand Prix. This time, it's the Dutch round. But because Zandvoort does not appear in the F1 2019 game, we're going to be traveling, virtually at least, to Interlagos. And remember, you've got the onboard of Will's ultimate track, which is due to start building work the moment he can find a friendly billionaire. Right, Tom. Alex, Tom, literally hold the phone. I have got (laughs) Formula One driver on the line. Who is it? Who have you got? Well... My first choice was? Georgie Russell. Boys, girls, gentlemen, ladies, I have got George Russell on the line. George, how are you? I'm very well, thanks for yourself. I'm not too bad. It's a, a weird time that we find ourselves in, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I've never spent as much time at home um, since I've been a child or spent as much time with my, my parents as I have them since I was about 15 years old so um, yeah that's, that's a different situation I find myself in as well but it, it's nice and it's that's probably something as a kid I, I took for granted and, it, and it's nice to spend the time with, with the family at the moment. I keep on seeing you adding to your skill set I feel like you're going to come out of this <laughs> lockdown a seriously talented George Russell juggling, mowing, uh, lawnmower racing, truck racing, yeah. building a gym. Yeah. What Absolutely. is next? What is next? That is the thing. I've got a, um, I don't know, to be honest. I hope it's been inspirational for, for the people watching. Um, oh, yes. So, I mean, I, I just felt like for all of us, we've got a huge amount of time on our hands and I want to come away from it feeling like you've done something useful and productive. So, you know, it's been fun doing the home gym and allowed me to continue training, which is what I've needed to do. Gardening, which is fun, customer lawn, learn to juggle, that's been a bit of fun as well. So, what is next? I, I saw you cutting hair. Weren't you hairdressing as cutting well? Cutting hair as well, cutting hair, yeah, exactly. I I nailed the fade on my 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 trainer the other day, which was great, uh, a 0.5 into a 1.5 uh, <laughs> on the side, he, he was rocking that. Um, <laughs> So, it's been good, it's been good. A really productive lockdown, and you mentioned training, you're feeling good and ready that when we do go racing, you're, you're going to be ready to go. I absolutely, absolutely. I think um, it just gives myself a chance to try and nail the fitness even more, um, but I think for all of us, it's going to be incredibly hard. You, know, you can train as much as you want, but you obviously lose race fitness. It's you know, running around the garden or mm. doing weights in the gym is not the same as driving 200 miles an hour around Silverstone. And that G-force is going to hit us hard, I think, in that first practice session when we get back. So, uh, but like I said, I'm doing everything I can to be prepared for that moment. This must be the longest time that you've gone without racing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it must have been. I think, um, I remember when I first started karting, seven years old, uh, practicing, we used to go to our local track every single Saturday mm. over the course of a year. And then when I was eight years old, I started racing. We'd be racing at least twice a month. So, yeah, no doubt, absolutely no doubt. It's the longest I've gone without racing or even even driving for, for that as well. You know, I've not been sat in a race car since, since Barcelona. So, you know, by, by the time we go racing again, it would have been at least 
seven months when I've only done about three days of testing. Absolutely crazy. You're going to all be a little bit rusty. That first corner is going to be one to watch. Well, it will be. I think uh, if we're at the back of the field, hopefully <laughs> there's a few little mistakes and we can sneak through. And uh, I see. I see. You've already got a little plan in place. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, usually everybody's at an incredibly high level. You know, all the drives are you know, the best in the world and we're always racing so much so you just get to this groove. But I think it allows people to hopefully get a bit of an advantage when we go back. If people are still rusty, you know, if, if people are going to make mistakes, it's going to be in the open a few races. So um, I need to make sure that I'm not one of them. And also from, you know, the team's perspective, I need to try and motivate the guys around me to see like, right, this is an opportunity that we're not really going to get ever again when people have had so much time off. Let's make sure we make the most of these uh, these opening few races when we get back. Absolutely. And so have you been in touch with people at the team, you know, little conference calls each week and things like that? I, I speak with Claire on a weekly basis. You know, my relationship with Claire is great. So we've not only a, a working relationship, you know, we've got a, a great personal relationship as well. So um, making sure she and, and Frank as well are all doing, doing well. Spoke with uh, the chief engineer yesterday, Dave, Dave Robson. Uh, speak to my my race engineer, James Irwin, every couple of weeks. So definitely staying in touch with, with the guys and uh, just making sure they're doing well. Really, there's there's not a huge amount we can talk about on the racing front because they're obviously all on shutdown. They can't work at the moment mm. uh, due to the regulation. So there's nothing to to discuss really. Lots of DIY chat, I would imagine. Well, absolutely. We're uh, comparing gardening skills and uh, yeah, DIY skills, really. So uh, that's about it. And what about Nicholas Latifi? Have you been in touch with Nick? Yeah, definitely. You know, we've been doing a lot of esports racing together. I um, I did accidentally crash into him in the last race. It wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> accidental. It was. It was a move that was very optimistic that went very wrong and I completely wiped him out so I, and it's, I felt a bit bad because it may have been the second time I did that over the course of our esports racing career so I held my hands up I apologise uh, get it out of your system no, now George get exactly. it all out don't exactly. worry exactly so but no we, we've got a good relationship we was, we was texting yesterday between about six of us you know myself Charles Alex Lando Nicholas uh, the crew Antonio, We've sort of, yeah, relationships grown a little bit since the esports has, has come along, uh, especially, you know, myself, Alex and, and Charles. You know, we've always been, been friends, but, you know, it's just, we're talking you know, every day at the moment. That's so nice. Esports, and um, I think, you know, it's just just a different dynamic. We've, we've always been competitive. You know, me and Alex are our best mates, so it's, it's been always slightly different with me and him. But for the rest of us, we're obviously uh, competitors or, you know, we race against each other. So it's not normally natural to have this sort of relationship with these guys. But I think it's been it's been good. And I think we, we all feel a bit of a, a duty as such to try and provide a bit of entertainment for, for the F1 fans. You know, it's... We've got these amazing loyal fans out there and who, who've got nothing to support. And if we can provide a bit of entertainment with eSports stuff or anything we're doing online with the streaming and they appreciate it and, and they're enjoying it, then, then that's great. I think that's awesome. I think it really has brought the F1 community together. And if it's bringing you guys together as well, then that's an added bonus. Um, you talked about the loyal fans. Of course, when we do go racing, there's the, the thought that we'll be racing behind closed doors. And of course... 
when we start, I would imagine Silverstone will come pretty fast. Um, for you, the thought of a home Grand Prix without fans must be a funny feeling. Yes, absolutely. I think, um, you know, last year, my first British Grand Prix was an experience I'll probably remember forever, to be honest. There was, you arrive in the morning, there's this real buzz about the place. Um, all the fans, obviously most of which supporting Lewis, but you know a lot of which were also supporting myself and Lando, doing the fan zone appearances where you've got 15,000 people cheering your name on the driver's parade prior to the race, you know, driving around in our little car, throwing merchandise out to the fans who are all cheering and shouting. And, you know, that's just a, that was just an amazing feeling for me. Um, you know, it gave me a real buzz and excitement. But obviously, missing them this year is going to be very different and something I I am definitely going to miss. But, you know, a British Grand Prix with no fans is better than no British Grand Prix at all. And I think everybody knows that. You know, Silverstone's one of the most iconic and best tracks of the year. So gives them the, the joy and pleasure to drive there and, and put on a show for people who are sat back at home is better than, than not at all. So... Obviously, I respect that decision. And it's the right thing to do. It's absolutely the right thing to do. Absolutely. As long as we can see you guys racing, I'm sure we'll be happy so that hopefully in the future we can all be back there. Well, George, it's been so nice to catch up with you. I feel very far away from the Formula One world <laughs> at the moment. So this is, this is lovely. No, likewise. Likewise. It's been a pleasure. And add to that skill set. I want another activity added in the coming weeks, please. All right. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do. So I don't mean to brag, but I just uh, nailed my first challenge. Challenge number one completed. And at no point did it look incredibly awkward and that this segment might have to go in the bin. Yeah, third time lucky. But George George came in with the win right at the end there for me. He did. And what a nice bloke as well. I loved that. I, do you know what? I loved it when he was describing how he's never spent so much time with his parents since he was, what, 15, I think he said. Something... Uh, well, I'm not experiencing that, but I know a lot of people are and it's, you know, good family time, hey? I'm living with my parents at the moment and it's special time that you don't get very often. It's almost like a, a little mini sabbatical almost. And yeah, I don't think we'll ever be in this, or I hope we'll never be in this situation again. But as George said, just trying to find the positive and, you know, build up your talent skill set. I mean, I've got a lot of work to do because I haven't learned to juggle yet. I haven't cut anyone's hair and I certainly haven't mown the lawn. So, But... You did complete challenge number one. Yay. That's the good news. Bad news is, another challenge next week. Oh, please. Is it going to be harder or easier? Well, well, we'll see. We'll see. And get your suggestions for the challenges into hashtag F1 Nation. And remember, Rosanna volunteered for this weekly pressure. But remember to also go easy on me. And that almost brings things to a close for the very first F1 Nation. But before then... Let's just acknowledge the date. Today is the 1st of May, which means 26 years ago, we lost one of the greatest drivers in the history of the sport. Ayrton Senna was killed at Imola. And on this week's Beyond the Grid, that podcast I mentioned right at the top of the show, I've done a fascinating interview with Ayrton Senna's manager, Julian Jacobi. What an incredible career that guy's had. But at that time, he was managing Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna. It's quite extraordinary how you could manage both of those drivers at the same time. But he made a very good point, I thought, in the podcast, which was in the Senna film, what people perhaps didn't take into account was that Senna was a Honda man 
and that Alain Prost was a McLaren man. So not only did that influence their relationship, but it influenced the way they got things done within the team. So I think, AJ, given that we're all in lockdown still, I'm going to re-watch the Senna movie this weekend, bearing that in mind. I think that puts a totally different light on F1's most famous teammate pairing. And we've all got a bit of time on our hands. I think that's a very good idea indeed. Our thanks to Ross Braun, Will Buxton, Rosanna Tennant, George Russell and you for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to review and subscribe and get any questions, comments or suggestions to the hashtag F1Nation. Thanks for listening. We'll leave you with the master at work. Horrible conditions, but Ayrton Senna is coping with them and he's catching Prost hand over fist for the lead. Prost into the Rascast corner, chased by Senna in second place, just about two or three seconds behind him now. There's an official right in the middle of the road now showing the red flag and the chequered flag is going out. They are stopping. This is going to be the end of the Monaco Grand Prix. The man of the 1985 Portuguese Grand Prix is and has been all through practice and all through the race. This man, Ayrton Senna. And Ayrton Senna has already got his shoulder straps undone. And you can see that this usually totally unflappable, imperturbable Brazilian is for once absolutely beside himself. With Look at him, both hands waving with joy. It's going to be one of the closest Grand Prix finishes, whatever happens, that we've seen for a long, long time. They're coming up for the hairpin now. This is it. Down into second gear. And Mansell, if he gets it right, can sprint out of the rear wing of Senna's car. Senna moves across. He's keeping Mansell back, and he wins. A great achievement. Uh, Ayrton Senna, the new world champion. Ayrton Senna crosses the line and you can see his exultation. This is the opportunity that Senna's looking for and he's going through. Out! Oh my goodness, this is fantastic. They beat. This is what we were fearing might happen during the race. And that means to say that Prost has won the World Championship. And Senna sprints away, but Alain Prost takes the lead. It's happened. Alain Prost has taken the advantage. Senna is trying to go through on the inside, and it's happened immediately. Yes, and that makes Ayrton Senna world champion this year. Yes, Ayrton Senna achieves his ambition to win the Brazilian Grand Prix, but another lap or two, and I think he would not have done so. But ifs don't matter. Senna has won. It's only the left here, the right, the right again, the left, and into the Rask Cast. And I do not see how Mansell, even Nigel Mansell on fresh tyres, is going to be able to get by. He can't. Ayrton Senna has won the Monaco Grand Prix. Well, Senna is crowded out and is down to fifth position. And Ayrton Senna is up to fourth position ahead of Schumacher. And Senna is up to third. And after being crowded at the start, a quite brilliant couple of corners by Ayrton Senna. And Senna into second place already. And Senna goes through into the lead.